Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. I, th- I think this might be the last message I'm going to preach on this specific subject, but I think that this will be the best one yet. So if you had a good time the past couple weeks, this is going to be the best one yet. But there's something that's going to need to happen if that's going to happen. See, I got my part to play in the service, and you got your part to play in the service. And I know it's rainy and cold outside, but it's not in here. And the Spirit of God's in here this morning, and He wants to do something great in us. And, and I have a lot I want to say this morning, and I know it's going to help you today. It's, it, it's helped me. And I only preach messages that helps me. If, if it doesn't help me, I'm not going to say it on Sunday morning. I just preach what God tells me about my life, and then I think it's good enough to share it with you because it'll probably help you too. That's just the way I preach. And this morning, when we preach this message, you will get more out of it if you respond more to what God's doing. It's so important that I, I know the scriptures are on the screen a lot, but it's important to have your Bible with you. It's important to take notes, but it's important to verbally respond to the words that are being spoken. Now, if you don't agree with it, don't say anything. But if you do agree, say amen, because that means so be it in my life or hallelujah or oh my or oh me or whatever you want to say. But it's important to vocalize during the message. It's important, or, or even if you don't vocalize, at least nod your head and let the devil know and God know you agree with what's being said. And a smile wouldn't hurt every once in a while either. You know, if you do this for a living, uh, you get all sorts of faces when you're preaching. So a smile is appreciated. Some people just got a great look on their face the whole time you're preaching, and, and it's appreciated. You know, one of my best friends in the world, Mr. Charlesi, Micah Stumler, uh, every time I look at him during the message, I know I can be encouraged because he's giving me the head nod and he's giving me a nice smile. <laughs> and that's all I need. That's all I need. I don't care what your face looks like. I care what his face looks like. And he gives me the head nod and smiles. I know all is right in the world. If Charlesi says this message is good, it's good. I don't care what anyone else says. <laughs> so that's appreciated. But you get more out of the messages when you respond more. And uh, you, don't, you don't listen to a monotone, boring preacher. So uh, you have plenty of opportunities to respond in a message. So let's start in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. This is a key verse for this series about grieving with hope. It says, now dear brothers and sisters, so he's talking to believers. He says, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. But I love in verse 13, it says, we are not those who grieve without hope. And that's been the title of this series. And I encourage you to go back and listen to the messages that have been spoken the past few weeks. We talked about I'm hurting, but I'm healing uh, two weeks ago. And last week we talked about a prosperous soul. And I think it's so important that you go back and you listen to messages that help you. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's important to listen over and over and over. If it helps you, listen to it. Doesn't matter if it's for me or somebody else. Repeat those messages. Listen to those messages. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And you want your faith to stay strong in the area of your soul. That means you need to listen to messages about your soul that's going to help you in your soul. If you want to 
be strong about healing, you need to listen to messages about healing. If you want to be strong about prosperity, you need to listen. And not just one message, you need to listen to over and over and over because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's so important that we know that this morning. And today, the time of my message, I know it, it's going to sound like a discouraging title, but trust me, this is going to be the most encouraging service you've ever been to. But I like to talk about real messages and real talk when I preach because people live real lives and sometimes churches and pastors and preachers filter it too much and don't talk real about anything. And that's why they got a bunch of fake phony people that come to church and never change. And we just do this over and over again. I'd rather stay home if we're not going to be real about it. But messages that help you are real messages talking about real issues you have in your real life. And that sometimes can be uncomfortable, but unless you talk about it, it will never change. And we got to talk about this. And, and that's, that's the only setting I have is to preach about real things and real messages. I think a lot of churches, this is not my notes. I'm just venting to you about this for a second. I think a lot of churches um, are answering questions that no one's even asking. <laughs> it's like you're doing a new sermon series about what? No one cares. I'm sorry, but no one cares about that. Like, we're, we're just trying to pay our bills and not be depressed. Like, you're trying to talk about the end times and the four-headed beast and stuff like that. Like, we're just trying to live, people. And so I don't want to be a church like that, and I don't want to be a preacher like that. So if ever I'm like that, please come tell me. We're not trying to preach messages that, that doesn't pertain to your real life, where you're really living. And a lot of churches are preaching messages that no one really cares it just has nothing to do with where they're really at. So today the title of my message is this, what to do on the worst day of your life. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. What to do on the worst day of your life. So we've been talking about grieving with hope, and uh, hopefully there is some hope that came out of these messages so far the past few weeks. And I am a faith person, and everything I've been saying is faith-filled and hope-filled, and it's real at the same time. You can be both. And today I want to talk about what do you do on the worst day of your life. Now, we're talking about grieving with hope this morning. And when I say that, some of you are um, concerned by that title, but I'm not prophesying that over you but I am preparing you for it. I'm not speaking that over your life like, I know this is going to happen to you. But if you read your Bible, Jesus said, we're in this world. We're not of it, but we're still in it. And we live in a fallen, broken, sinful world with an enemy that wants to still kill and destroy and he said that in this life, he's talking to believer and unbeliever, like you will have trials and tribulation. But be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. But you still have trial and tribulation. And he also said that he used the parable that there was a house that was built on the sand and there was a house that was built on the rock. And the storms of life came to both houses. The storms of life came to both people. Storms of life came to both family, the one who built it on the 
rock and the one who built it on the sand. It came to both. We could say it came to the church people and the non-church people. The believer and the unbeliever. Storms came to both houses, but it says that when the storms came to the house on the sand and the house on the rock, the one that was built on the rock or on the word was still standing after the storm was over. Now, our family's not perfect by any means, but you should take note at this time in our lives that we're still here doing what we're still doing preaching the same message we're still preaching no matter what has happened to us personally or as a family because our house is not built on sand our house is built on the rock now the house that was built on the rock still felt the storm <laughs> still felt the rain still felt the wind still felt the shaking but since it was on the word it was on the rock church on the rock Come on now, somebody. There's a reason we named it this, Church on the Rock, because it's on the Word. You build your life on the Word, then when these things happen, because they will, not prophesying, but I am preparing, that you still will be standing. So I want to prepare you as your pastor, because the storms of life come to everyone. But what do you do on the worst days of your life? Today we're going to study from two different stories in the life of David about two days of his life that were some of the worst days of his life. And I think we can learn a lot from the life of David. You know, David was probably the most significant person in the Bible other than Jesus and maybe the Apostle Paul. David's probably the most well-known person in all of Scripture. He was a man after God's own heart. But just because he was a man after God's own heart does not mean he was a stranger to pain and grief. He went through a lot of things in his life, a lot of tests and trials and hardship. But there's something about David. David would always bounce back. David would always recover. David would also end up in the place of restoration and being victorious no matter what happened in his life, whether it was a battle or a family situation or his own sin, David would always bounce back. Because there's some things that happened in the life of David I think we can learn from today on what do you do in the worst days of your life. So I want to talk about two major stories in the Old Testament about David and how he responded to it can help us today. I feel like you're with me today and I appreciate that. The first one we're going to read is in 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. And I'm going to give you a little context of this verse before we read it. And we're going to kind of go verse by verse through these two passages about David's life. These are two of the worst days of his life. How did he respond? So the context of 2 Samuel 12 is this, that David had sinned. He had slept with Bathsheba because he was in a place he shouldn't have been in in the first place. And he took somebody else's wife, slept with her, and then they had a child. And during this period of time of his life, David was not living right. And it was his own sin that brought these consequences on himself. Now, I'm not implying that if you lost a child, that's your fault and it's your sin. But I am saying in this specific thing, David opened the door for his child to die because of his own sin. And he was being 
hard towards God in this time in his life. He was being rebellious towards God in his life. And judgment came because he wasn't living right. How many of you know that when you're not living right, it affects more than just you? But they always say, well, I can do whatever I want as long as it's not hurting anyone else. No, actually, everything you do is either hurting somebody or helping someone. There is no neutral ground. There's no like, this is just my private life and my private sin. No, because whatever you do affects everyone else around you. And on top of that, if you're living a sinful, rebellious lifestyle, you're not going to be the best person you could be. So you are hurting other people. Okay. Let me get back on my notes here. But in this context, David brought this on himself. Now, now, once again, there's, there's other things in David's life that came against him as an attack from the enemy. But this specific thing happened because of his own sin. And I think we need to be honest enough in church to discern the difference. And be humble enough to admit it. As your pastor, I know for a fact there's things in my life at times that happened because I was an idiot. There's things that happened in my life because I wasn't listening to God. There's things in my life that happened because I was being rebellious towards God. And the same is true for you as you're looking all pious at me right now. I can't believe you, Pastor. But also, I know at the other side of it, there has been times in my life that were just straight the enemy was after me. People were after me. The devil was after me. I was struggling. Those are those situations as well. But all of us need to be honest enough to know the difference and admit when we're wrong and repent to God, get back under his grace, get back under his protection, get back under his love. And we need to be honest enough to say which is which. Okay, I know I'm warming you up today. We got a long way to go. But in this context, it was David's fault. So 2 Samuel 12 and verse 16, we'll start here. It says, David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Then on the seventh day, it came to pass that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him the child is dead? Now, we're going to stop right here. He may do some harm. Do you realize that when you're under extreme pain, you do extreme things. That's why you cannot trust yourself when you're going through extreme pain. You cannot trust yourself when you're going through extreme grief. You cannot trust yourself when you're having extreme feelings. That's why last week, if you listen to the message, we talked about you got to back up and ask the Holy Spirit what's going on. Ask him for help, but never make a permanent decision based off temporary emotions. You always make the wrong choice. A lot of people have committed suicide because of that. But notice, even in this time and day, they realized 
If David is this upset because his son is sick, what is he going to do to himself or everyone else if he finds out he's dead? Because that grief is overwhelming, that pain, that trauma, the abuse that you've experienced. It's overwhelming in the moment. And a lot of times, you'll harm yourself and other people if you're not careful. Why do people do self-harm? Why do people cut themselves? Why do people do other drastic things to their body or to their mind? They're in pain. They're hurting. And a lot of times because they don't know God, they're thinking that that's going to help them feel better. They, they think that that is going to numb them from the pain that they're feeling. So if, if I cause myself harm, maybe I won't think about the other pain in my life. I'm telling you this morning, I understand what you're feeling. I understand what you're going through. And I understand that pain. But don't do something like that to hurt yourself. Because when we're under extreme pain, the natural response is wanting to do something extreme. And that's why it says... We don't want to tell him because he might harm himself or he was the king. He could just be ticked off at everybody and say, you're all dead. I'm just tired of seeing people. Because extreme pain will make you do extreme things if you're not careful. Hopefully I'm helping you so far today. So next verse he goes on and this is what happened. When David noticed he saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, is the child dead? They said, he is dead. And we're going to hang out on this verse for the remainder of time. Notice what happened in verse 20. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. So we're going to hang here really for a lot of the rest of the time today. And we're talking this morning about what do you do on the worst days of your life? A few weeks ago, we talked about some things you need to do when you're feeling grief or pain. We talked about you need to be honest with God. He can handle it. You need to be real with God. And if you're going to get help, you got to go to the healer. We also talked about you need to process a lot of times with people, and not just anybody, the right people. You can talk to the right people, get that out of you. But then beyond that, here are some other steps to take, and we're going to talk about those this morning. Notice what happened in verse 20. So David arose from the ground. Now, I feel this this morning. I'm going to preach it the way I feel it. This is what you do on the worst days of your life. You have to decide you're going to get up. The first step you need to take on the worst day of your life, you have to decide, I'm going to get up. Now that decision is a choice of your will. I love this. Dr. Summer would always say this. The most powerful thing that a human being has is their will. The human will to live. The human will to move forward. The human will to decide. Your will is the most powerful thing you have. 
The person that says they can't do it is right. And the person that says they can do it is right. It's all a choice of their will. And David, on the worst day of his life, decided, I'm going to get up. When you're grieving, when you're in pain, when you've experienced extreme abuse or trauma or pain in your life or hurt, you need to decide you are going to get up. You might not know how you're going to get up. You might not know all the details. But you need to tell yourself and make a decision in your will that I'm not going to stay here forever. Then I'm not going to stay stuck. Then I'm going to get up from this no matter what. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're responding today. But you have to decide that on the worst days of your life. You have to decide you are going to get up. I love this. Let's look at Proverbs 24, 16 and the New King James Version. It says, for a righteous man may fall seven times and he rise again. Let's look at the way it says in the Passion. For the lovers of God may suffer adversity and stumble seven times, but they will continue to rise over and over again. I love this verse because it says, yeah, you know, there's going to be some times in your life that it feels like life and circumstances have knocked you down. But if you're connected with God, if you're a lover of God, if God has made you righteous, doesn't matter if you've been knocked down seven times, you're going to rise up again. You're going to get back up again. How did David, every time he bounced back from every circumstance, from every sin, from every failure, from every hardship, from every death, from every pain, how did he bounce back up? Because he was connected with God and he chose, I'm going to get up. And you got to choose, you're going to get up because the righteous may fall seven times, but you get back up again. You know why the righteous gets back up again when other people don't? Because God put his spirit on the inside of you, and that is a spirit that doesn't give up. That is a spirit of a champion. That is a spirit of a victorious one. That is a spirit of an overcomer. So maybe there will be times in your life you want to quit and you want to give up, but the spirit of God who has made you righteous will help you get back up again, but you have to choose it with your own will. The righteous may fall seven times, but he will rise again. And this morning, if you're connected with God, you have the spirit of an overcomer. You have the spirit of someone who does not give up, that does not quit on the inside of you. But you have to choose, I'm going to get up. You have to choose, I'm going to get up. So what do you do on the worst day of your life? You have to decide, I'm going to get up. I might not know how. But I choose today, I'm not going to stay here forever. I'm not going to stay stuck here forever. I'm going to get up. Are you getting something this morning? Can we bring that verse back up here? Verse 20. I feel my help coming this morning. 
Oh, we, we just ended the beginning of this. So David arose from the ground and he washed and anointed himself and he changed his clothes. What do you do on the worst day of your life? Where after you decide you're going to get up. Notice it says he washed and anointed himself and he changed his clothes. What do you do on the worst day of your life? You're going to have to change your clothes. Now, for our modern context, we don't understand this fully. But in that time, in that day, when someone was grieving or in pain, they literally changed their clothes to wear sackcloth. And that people would know if they saw them around town, these people are mourning. These people must have experienced a, an extreme loss or pain or hurt in their life. And they would walk around the town with that outfit on. A lot of times crying and weeping. And they put that garment on them to let everybody know this is what's going on with me. Up to this time, David had that on. Because it said he had been pr praying and fasting and crying for his son. And he had this garment of mourning on. He had this garment of pain on. He had this garment of grief on. But then it says that David, on the worst day of his life, washed himself, anointed himself, and he changed his clothes. Now, I see a lot in this verse, but let me tell you a few things I see. Washing yourself was significant in that time because there would be a lot of dirt on him. There would probably be some ashes from the ashes he had thrown on himself when he was mourning. And when he washed himself, he was washing himself of that old life. Of that old way of thinking, of that old way of being, of that old mourning and grief and pain. He was saying, I'm washing myself of this and putting it in the past where it belongs. And by washing myself, I'm going to put on something new. But now I love it. it says, David anointed himself. He anointed himself. Now what does that tell me about David? David anointed himself. When you anointed yourself, you didn't do it on accident. You did it for a purpose. When you anointed yourself in the Old Testament, it wasn't just like putting on perfume like you did that every day. In the Old Testament, when people anointed themselves, they did it because they were about to do something great for God. So by David anointed himself, he was making a symbolic symbol that my life is not over. Just because this happened, I'm still anointed. God still got a plan. God still got a purpose. I still got a calling. I still have a future. So I'm going to go ahead and anoint myself for what God has called me to do. And just because you lost something or someone out of your life does not mean God's call or anointing has left your life. You know what you need to do? Wash yourself of all of that and put it in the past where it belongs once and for all. And then anoint yourself and get back on with what God has called you to do. 
Because you got a purpose. But David anointed himself. Meaning I'm going to get back being king. I'm going to get back worshiping. I'm going to get back doing what I've been called to do. And I'm anointing myself for a purpose. This is not perfume or cologne. This is significant. It means this is God's presence on my life to do something great. And he anointed himself. And then it says he changed his clothes. Are you guys getting something this morning? I I feel like you are if you're with me today. What do you do on the worst days of your life? you got to change your clothes. Now, what does he mean by changing your clothes? Well, he had on the garments of mourning. And he changed his clothes. That means he changed his mindset. He changed his attitude. He changed his outlook. And he changed his clothes. Do you got to realize that Every one of us, every day, has a choice on what we put on. I'm not talking about your physical clothes. I'm talking about the real you. And in Isaiah 61.3, it says that God wants to give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what God wants to give us. But we have to change our clothes to do that. God says, I want to give you this garment of praise, which is the answer to your spirit of heaviness. But until you take off heaviness and depression and bitterness and pain and grief, until you take that off, I can't give you the garment of praise. And so I have to have a choice. i got to put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What do you do on the worst day of your life? you got to change your clothes. Stop wearing clothes of hurt. Stop wearing clothes of trauma. Stop wearing clothes of abuse. Stop wearing clothes. That doesn't make what happened right. It wasn't right. But you have a future and it matters that you change your clothes. Because until you change your clothes, you can't change your future. Until you change your clothes, you cannot change the outcome of your life. Until you change your clothes, you will never be healed. Until you change your clothes, you will never be victorious again. Until you change your clothes, you can't step into God's purpose for your life. Do you realize until David changed his clothes, he was not going to be back and being able to do his kingly priestly duties. Because you can't dress like that when you're doing kingly priestly duties. You would have to change your clothes. And he changed his clothes. Now I'm feeling this today for a lot of people in here. You got to change your clothes. But every day we get a choice. And this is what, here's some choices you have. You have a choice every day to put on faith or you can put on fear. But you choose. You can put on love or you can put on hate. But you choose what you put on. You could put on praise or you could put on discouragement, but you choose. You could put on peace or you could put on anxiety, but you choose. You could put on joy and you could put on despair, but you choose what you put on. And you know, this word put on in our culture means something different than it did in that culture. 
See, some of you are thinking what I'm saying is this, because when we say somebody's putting on, that means they're being phony and fake. But in the Bible times, putting on something means you're becoming who you really are. It means that you're actually not acting fake. You're actually being a person of faith. Saying, I know I feel this way, but I'm going to choose faith. And I'm going to choose joy. And I'm going to choose peace. And I'm going to choose praise over the spirit of heaviness. So that's not being fake. That's being a person of faith. So don't read your modern context of what putting on means. It means something different in this context. There's some things in the New Testament that say these very things. And let me read you a couple of verses. Colossians 3.10. Colossians 3.10 says this. Put on your new nature. Now that's the real you. Put on this new nature. Who's the new nature? Who you are in Christ. Your new nature is joy. And peace and faith and victory. That's you. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Let's look at Ephesians, I believe. It's 424. Put on your new nature. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That's not being fake. That's being who you really are. Being a person of faith. But what do you do on the worst day of your life? You're going to have to wash yourself, anoint yourself, and change your clothes. Many people are walking around, and they don't like the way they look. They don't like the way they feel. But let me ask you a question this. In the most loving pastoral way possible, who put your clothes on? Now, I'm going to give an example about my own life to make this go over a little bit better. Because I felt like some of you were offended when I said, who put your clothes on? (laughs) It's true, though. Your pastor, I haven't got new clothes in a long time. Now, this is purely my choice and my will. I've had people offer He's one of many. They said, we will take you and buy you new dress clothes. We'll buy you new casual clothes. We'll, we'll pay for everything if you just get new clothes. You've been wearing the same thing since you're 18 years old. And it would be okay if that happened for a few weeks or a few months. But now it's turning into decades of the same clothes. And you realize, now, now shout out to all the older people in here. You realize when you get a little older, you care more about comfort. Come on now, somebody. That's why you dress the way. It's not that you don't care about fashion. You just care about your comfort more than fashion. I'm there already at 34. Comfy shoes, comfy pants, comfy shirt. Listen, this is the only time I look like this all week long. If you saw me the rest of the week, you wouldn't recognize me, okay? You think a pastor looks great on Sundays. This is the only time for these two hours. And then the rest of the week, I'm back to comfy clothes. 
But in this story, there's something that I also have a problem with. I don't like the way I look right now. I don't. And for year after year after year, people have offered to get me clothes. But this morning, there's a light bulb that's switched on, and I want to share, you, share this to you. <laughs> I cannot complain that I don't look the way I want to look because I dress myself. And many people have looked and felt the way they felt. I'm not talking physically. I'm talking spiritually. And in their soul for year after year after year. And all they do is complain to everybody. I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I feel. Who put your clothes on? You got them. Nobody dressed you. You got them out of your own closet. And you decided to keep putting on pain. You decided to keep putting on grief. You decided to keep putting on unforgiveness. You decided to keep putting on hate. You decided to keep putting on this bad attitude. And you say, I don't like the way I look and feel, but who put your clothes on? In the most loving way possible, you did. And if this example from my own personal life, just in the natural, if I don't like the way I look during the week, whose fault is it? It's not anybody else's fault. It's mine. I'm 34. I put my own clothes on. I choose my own clothes to wear. And because I'm choosing the wrong things, I don't like the way I look and feel. That's not anybody else's fault but my own. And people have offered to buy me new stuff, but I refuse to take it. It's still available. <laughs> My people will call your people. It'll happen. <laughs> One day. But think about this. How many of us in here, God has said, I'll buy you new clothes. Just let me take you. I'll buy you new clothes. I buy you new dress clothes. I buy you new casual clothes. I have a closet full of your new nature and your new life and your healed life and your prosperous life and the life that I've created for you. But you keep going back to goodwill and putting on the same clothes you've always worn that have holes in them and that are dirty. But why do we do it? Because it's comfortable. People do that physically, but people do that spiritually and in their soul. But why do you still look that way? It's comfortable. Why do you still dress that way? It's comfortable. When God says, I'll get you new everything if you just let me. What are we going to do on the worst days of our life? We need to change our clothes. If God has made it available, Take advantage of it. If God has said he has it for you, put it on. But we choose what we put on.
you guys get something so far? The next thing he did in verse 20, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. I mean, I love this point. This is one of my favorite ones. What do you do on the worst days of your life? You go into the house of the Lord and you worship. When hurtful, painful, traumatic things happen to you, don't run away from God. Run to God. Don't run away from church. Run to church. I've seen so many people, when bad stuff happens, they stop coming to church. They stop going to God. They stop being around people that can help them, which is the worst thing you can do imaginable. I know that's not what you feel like doing right then, but it's the best thing for you. Don't run from God when you're in pain. Don't run from church when you're in pain. Don't run from people that will help you when you're in pain. Run to them. And David knew where his help came from. And when David experienced some of the worst days of his life, he got up, he washed and anointed himself, he changed his clothes, and he went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. And he worshiped. And I love this because David was always a worshiper. Here's something to think about. In these situations when you're overwhelmed with pain or grief and it's a bad day, if you don't know what to do, go back to what you know to do. And this is what David knew more than anything because David was a worshiper his whole life long. And he knew when this happens, I know where the help comes from, and that's in my worship. And David remembered the same God that was with me when I was worshiping on the backside of the desert with a couple sheep and a banjo. And he helped me then. Was the same God I was worshiping when I fought Goliath. And the same God I was worshiping when Saul was after me. And the same God that was with me when I was the king. And the same God that was with me through the battles. And the same God that was with me through all this pain and hardship. And I worshiped my way through all those situations. I'm going to worship my way through this situation. Because if I don't know what to do, I got to go back to what I used to know to do. And David started as a worshiper and he ended as a worshiper. And that's one of the main reasons I believe David always bounced back because he was a worshiper. And he went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. I want to tell you this morning, there is two times to praise and worship God when you feel like it and when you don't. Because whether you feel like it or not, he is still worthy of your praise and worship. The book of Hebrews says that we give God the sacrifice of praise. That means we praise God when we don't feel like it. We worship God when we don't sense it. We worship God when someone dies. We worship God when someone goes to heaven. We worship God when we're dealing with pain in our body. We worship God when we're struggling in our mind. We worship God when our kid is far from God. We worship because we give God the sacrifice of praise. And he went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. Notice most people run from church and they're mad at God the rest of their life. 
He's not your problem. He's the answer. But let me tell you some things that worship does for you. Yes, you need to do it no matter how you feel because he's worthy of it. But worship, God moves in worship. God heals in worship. God delivers in worship. I love this because the Bible says if you want to get God in the middle of your problem, in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your trauma, it says that God inhabits the praises of his people. That means God comes down right in the middle of your issues and sits down there with you when you worship. Now guess what? If God sits right down in the middle of all your issues with you, something's going to change. Healing's going to come. Deliverance is going to come. Changes are going to happen because God inhabits the praises and worship of his people. Now how are you going to make it through your worst days? You're going to worship your way through it. You don't have to know all the answers to worship God. Here's another thing that happens when we worship. Are you guys still here with me today? I'm closing, but, but this is too good to stop now, right? This is too good to stop now. The best is coming in this message today. And you please call everybody who wasn't here this morning and tell them you missed it this morning because Pastor went off in the house of the Lord. This is too good to not hear this this morning. But he went to the house of the Lord and worshiped. But this is what I love that worship does that sometimes prayer and the word doesn't do in your life. I think sometimes we could get too legalistic when it gets in our word and our prayer time. And I feel like worship has a way of bringing our heart back into this thing. And it does something in our soul that sometimes those other things don't do as much. Some of the most powerful times I've ever had with God was during worship. Some of the most clearest times I've ever heard God's voice was during worship. But think about this. This is what worship does. When we worship God, it gets our mind off the problem. (laughs) Because in those moments, you're consumed with those thoughts in your mind and in your soul. You're consumed with the pain and the hurt. You're consumed with the worry and the fear. You're consumed. And worship has a way, even more than prayer and the word. Those are important. That worship gets your mind off the problem and onto the answer. And this is what happens. The psalmist says it like this. Come magnify the Lord with me. Now, what does magnify mean? Magnifying means if you had a magnifying glass, you would put it on something and the object that it's being focused on would become bigger and bigger too. That's all you saw. And when we worship, we magnify God. And he gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and our problem gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Now, in reality, God's always bigger, but sometimes we can't see it because we have the magnifying glass on our fear and on our pain 
and in our depression and in our discouragement. So it feels like it's overwhelming. It feels like it's so much bigger than God, but it's not. And when we worship, we put the magnifying glass on what really needs to be magnified. And God becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And the answer becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And that problem seems so small now. And that fear doesn't seem that big anymore. And that depression seems like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get through this. And that anxiety doesn't feel like it controls you anymore. Because God got bigger. Because we magnified him in worship. I'm preaching 150 times better than you're responding. He went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. He worshiped. I love that. When we worship God, it gets so much bigger. And our problem becomes so much smaller. You know, just a side note here, and I'll move along. When, when we come out and worship, and usually I'm facing this way, but I used to be right here a long time ago for about 20 years of my life playing acoustic guitar. Remember me singing? <laughs> Some of you new people don't even know that happened. <clears throat> I used to sing. I, I was here for 20 years. You know, you can visibly see on people's response and people's face on what they're magnifying. No, let's talk honest. It's not because you're just not into the song. It's not because you just don't express yourself like that. No, you do at baseball games and football games and Black Friday when your purse is on sale. That's a load of bull. No, you do. You do respond. But when you come to church and people start worshiping, why do people stand like this? Why do people have their hands in their pockets? Why do people can barely lift their voice up when they've been yelling at people all week? Because in that moment, they are magnifying their worry, their depression, their grief, their pain, their problems, and they're not magnifying God. And they're waiting for a feeling to change that. But let me tell you what changes that. When you worship, that changes that. Or you could keep putting your hands in your pockets because you're magnifying the wrong stuff. What if you got your hands out of your pockets, lifted your voice, started worshiping God, then your problems would get smaller and smaller. You want to know the good news about that? You don't have to wait till Sunday morning to do that. You can do it in your car. You can do it with your kids. You can do it at your home. You can do it in... Everywhere you go, you can magnify God all week and worship him like that. Imagine if we had a group of church people who lived that week all week long and then came in here on Sunday, which you're not doing, which is very apparent. What kind of healing would take place in this place? What kind of deliverance would take place in this place? What kind of the presence of God would be so tangible because we all came full because we would have been worshiping and magnifying God all week? Don't be offended when I'm telling you the truth. 
worshiped the Lord. He went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped. His son just died. Some of you, I love you, but way lesser things have happened to you and we didn't see you for months. You're only hurting yourself and I love you, but don't run from God. Don't run from community. Don't run from the church because you got issues. Go to the house of the Lord and worship. I got to close. You guys are pulling it out of me today. I'm helping you if you're listening this morning. I'm talking to myself too. I even told Amzie a while back, I said, listen, I'm sorry if, if on the front row I'm not as expressive. I'm thinking about the message I'm about to preach. It's not that I'm not into it, but even I need to be more expressive. Get my mind on him and worship the Lord. Magnify him. He gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 30. We're going to close with this. Did you guys get something today? So what do you do on the worst days of your life? First Samuel 30, this is a different passage, but still on a pretty bad day for David. And I want to read this passage and give you the last thing I want to share. It says, now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south in Ziglag and attacked Ziglag and burned it with fire. And he had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. And they did not kill anyone, but they carried them away and went their way. So notice what happened. Let's stop right here. So David and his mighty men were away fighting. And when they came back, literally all their wives and kids were gone. And the whole thing was burned down. So imagine being in the situation. If you came home to your house, your house was burned down, and your kids and your husband or wife were gone. So imagine how you would feel. And so this is what happened. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept. So they were grieving. Notice, until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Enohim, however you say that, the Jezreelites, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Notice this. Now David was greatly distressed. Yeah, I think so. This is the filtered version. Do you imagine how David felt right now? But it gets worse for David. For the people spoke of stoning him. So all these guys are ticked off because they're like, David, you took us into battle. Now all of our wives and kids are gone. But notice what, why they did that. Because the soul, their soul, they were grieving in their soul. They were, they were about to do something drastic because they were hurting. They're about to kill David. 
the soul of all the people was grieved and every man for his sons and his daughters. And we'll stop right here for a second. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, what do we talk about so far? What do you do on the worst days of your life? You get up. You wash and anoint yourself and change your clothes. And then you worship. In this passage, this is the equivalent of David getting up and anointing himself and changing his clothes. But notice in both passages, it says he anointed himself and he strengthened himself. Meaning he was the only one who could do it for himself. If you're waiting on somebody else to change your life, it's not going to change. If you're waiting for somebody to come into your life and magically heal it, it's not going to be healed. David strengthened himself. Some translations say David encouraged himself. So the next verse here, what, what did he do after that? Then David said to Abathar, the priest, please bring the ephod here to me. And notice he brought the ephod to David. Now let's stop right there. Now, now what's the significance of, of this? Because you'll just read over it like ephod. <laughs> wow, okay, baby names, 2022, anybody? <laughs> Why, why would he do this? Okay, David's doing the same things he did in the other passages. It looks a little different, but this is the same things. David got up. David washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes. And what was the third thing? He worshiped God. Do you realize in the Old Testament, the ephod was a vest or a garment that the priest wore in worship? And he said... If I'm going to figure out what to do right now, if I'm going to make it through this situation that all the wives and kids are gone, the place is burned down, and these mighty men that are my best friends want to kill me, I got to get some answers from God. And notice what he did. He put the ephod on, which was a priestly worship garment, and he worshiped God. Now, in those times, in, in, in that day, the ephod was wore specifically by the high priest to get directions or instructions from God on what to do. And notice what it says next in this passage. So then David said to the priest, please bring the ephod here to me. And he brought the ephod to David. Verse 8. So David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Yeah. It's the last thing I want to talk about. I'm going to close. What do you do on the worst days of your life? You got to get up. You got to choose. I'm going to get up. I don't know how, but I am. God's going to help me. I choose right now. I'm going to do that. You got to wash, anoint yourself, or this passage will say strengthen yourself and change your clothes. Next thing is you got to worship the Lord. Worship the Lord because he will get bigger in your situation. Worship the Lord because he will heal your situation. Worship the Lord because you need him to find direction for the next steps you're supposed to take. 
after something like this happens in your life. You know, that's one of the main characteristics of extreme grief, of loss, is you, you feel confused. Like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what my life's going to be like next. I don't know what the next steps are for my life. That's why you go to God and you worship. And you get a word from him about your purpose in your future. And he'll give you one. But notice in this passage, he says, he inquired of the Lord in worship, and he said, should I go after these people? Should, should I try to get all these things back? Should I get the wives and kids back and get all this property they took from? And God said, pursue, overtake, and recover all. Now, I'm going to close with this, but I want you to hear me very closely this morning. There's been a lot of things that the enemy has taken from you and I. Even in the past few years, there's been people that lost jobs, lost relationships, physical health, mental health, money. Some of you have lost your purpose. Some of you have lost your calling. And yes, God wants to heal you, but he wants to take you a step further than healing. God doesn't just want you better. He wants you restored. <laughs> God doesn't just want you surviving. He wants you thriving. God doesn't just want you to be slightly a little bit better. He wants complete victory. That's why the last thing I want to share is that it's God's will. After you've had the worst day of your life, to pursue, overtake, and recover all. Amen. I believe that's a word for a lot of us in here in our entire church family today. Pursue, overtake, and recover all. We need to have the mentality that we are not going to sit by and let the devil take, 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 take and just not do anything about it. I think a lot of Christians have this attitude towards the devil like, I'll leave you alone if you leave me alone. Guess what? He's a liar. He doesn't play that game with you. But we need to have the mentality, yes, I'm going to get up. Yes, I'm going to wash, anoint myself, and change my clothes. Yes, I'm going to worship my God, and that's how I'm going to get through this. But at the end of this, when I get healing, and when I'm stronger, and when I'm better, I'm going to go pursue, overtake, and recover all. No, you ain't getting away with this, devil. Oh, you thought I forgot about it. No, you, I didn't forget about nothing. I was just waiting to get healed and to get stronger and to get better, and now I'm coming for you. That's the mentality believers need to have. Not some of this wishy-washy, weak-kneed, weak-willed Christians that act like they have no authority and no power and just have to sit down and take it. No, you don't. Your mentality should be the more the enemy pushes you and takes from you that you make him pay. Pursue, overtake, and recover all. 
You want to know the mission of Church on the Rock? We're going to go into 37 years next year. You want to know the mission and future of Church on the Rock? I know you do. What's the mission? Pursue, overtake, and recover all. Once we healed up from all this stuff, we're pursuing, overtake, and recover all. No, he ain't getting by with nothing. That's true for our church, but that needs to be true for your personal life. What has the enemy taken for you? What has he stolen from you? What has he tried to hurt in your life? Pursue, overtake, and recover all. That's what you need to do. There used to be an old song. Now I'm an old soul at heart. Old church soul. Y'all remember that song? You went to the enemy's camp, and I took back what he stole from me. You remember that song? That's the way we need to live. Stop being okay with letting him just take, 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 take. Stop being okay with losing stuff and letting it be lost. Stop being okay with letting him run over your life and saying, oh, well. I guess I'm always just going to feel like this way physically. I guess I'm always just going to be this way mentally. I guess I'm always just going to have to financially put up with this. You're listening to lies. Pursue, overtake, and recover all. That's God's will for you, church family. I think some of you guys need to get that spirit on the inside of you. Now, maybe you're not ready to do that yet. Okay, heal up. Get better. Get stronger. But when you got your strength back, let's go for it. Pursue. Overtake and recover all. That's what God's word is for you personally and for your family and for this church. And I'm not talking. This is not preacher talk. I don't preach messages to get you up and shouting if I didn't feel like I heard from God. God's word for you is pursue, overtake, and recover all. That's how you respond to the worst days of your life. That's how you respond to the worst trauma you've experienced. That's how you respond to the worst abuse you've been through. That's how you respond to the worst pain. Because it always came from the enemy himself. So don't make other people pay and don't make God pay. Make him pay and give back what he stole from you. So my mission statement the rest of my life and dad's mission statement the rest of his life is to make the devil pay. Pursue, overtake, and recover all. Because the enemy puts that in your life to get you so discouraged you'll give up. But if he messes with the wrong person, which is actually the right person, they live the rest of their life more focused, more passionate, stronger in what they believe, stronger about fulfilling the plan and mission of God, stronger about their purpose for God, Because they decide, I'm going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. And anything the devil did in my life is not going to define me. I'm going to make him pay for this. And what could have been my greatest 
trial and tests came my greatest triumphs. I love this about Brother Hagen, and I'm closing. You know, Brother Hagen, which we honor him, he's a father of the faith to a lot of us in here. And really, any modern preacher you hear about that talks about faith on TV or anywhere else got it from Brother Hagen. You know, in Brother Hagen's early life, he was very sickly when he was born. They almost just got rid of him and put him in a box because he had so many issues, but he lived supernaturally. And he had all these diseases, and at 16 years old, he was on his bed dying because he had a heart condition, he had a blood condition. But he started reading the Bible, and he started reading about faith, and, and no one even taught faith like that a lot of times in those days. And he read scriptures like Mark 11, says that we can have the God kind of faith and whoever says to this mountain be removed and cast to the sea and not doubt in his heart and believes those things he have he will have whatever he says and that his faith can make him whole and brother Hagen got that message on a deathbed because the enemy was trying to kill him at 16 years old because he didn't want to see the hundreds of millions of people that would come later and be faith people like not just in this country, but around the globe. People that believe in faith and the spirit-filled life and all the things the Bible says. But he got a hold of this faith message. And if you know the story about Brother Hagen, he got up supernaturally after months and months and months of meditating on God's word. And he believed in his heart and he confessed with his mouth. And he was supernaturally raised from the his deathbed at 16 years old. But you realize what he did? The rest of his life to 87, he made the devil pay for that. <laughs> now that's how you live your life. He made the devil pay for that. And how many know the devil was really disappointed he messed with Brother Hagin? Because think about the hundreds of millions of people worldwide that are people of faith because of Brother Hagin. But he used what the devil was trying to destroy him to be fuel for the fire the rest of his life. Think about people like Dr. Lester Sumbro, many other great men of God. At a young age, the devil tried to take him out. Dr. Sumbro was on a deathbed as well, and he decided he was going to choose to be in the ministry. He was going to choose to serve God at like 18 years old, and he went immediately and became a missionary. We're talking when you had to take a boat to China, not fly. And he immediately became a missionary and he lived for God and changed the world into his 80s because what did he do? He decided, I'm not going to let what happened to me in my younger life affect me. I'm going to make the devil pay for this. And I'm going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. That's the mission of this church going forward. Pursue, overtake, and recover all. Anything that we've lost as a church over these past few years, we're going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. I'm believing every financial thing that should have came to this church, we're going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. Every family that should have been in this church, every person we have lost for whatever reason, 
We're going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. Every prophecy that has been spoken about this church will come to pass. We are going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. We will be the church that we're called to be. We will be the region-changing church we're called to be. We will change this region. We will fill the sanctuary time after time after time again. You will have to get here an hour early and get lined up just so you can get in this service because there will be so many people coming to hear the presence of God. Why? Because we're going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. We're going to get to the place where there's going to be healings taking place, deliverances taking place, drug addicts being set free. And we're going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. Oh, no, we're not sitting back and just taking this. Uh Uh-uh. We're getting our strength back right now. We're healing up right now. But when we get our strength back, oh, we're going for it. Are you with me, church family? Come on, I need some David's mighty men and women with me today. No, we pursue and overtake and recover all. And when we get to the enemy's camp, we're going to take back all the goods and all the silver and all the belongings and the prodigal sons and the prodigal daughters and the relationships we lost and the people that we've lost and the finances and the healing we lost and the mental. We're going to get it all back. Because we're going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. Do you realize David could have said, ah, forget it. We'll get it next time. David could have done that. He could have said, okay, God, it's just lost. We'll, we'll just forget about it. I, it's hurtful right now. but Because he didn't know that his wife and kids could have been dead already. He didn't even know if he could find these people. But he got a word from God. Shall I pursue? Oh, yeah. That's my word for you, church family. Shall I pursue? Oh, yes. Should I get back up? Oh, yeah. And when you do, God says you're going to overtake it and you're going to recover all. Every word spoken about this place will happen. But you got a part to play in it, just like I do. We are here for such a time as this, church family. Everything's in order for God to do what we need him to do here at this church. I'm telling you that 100%. We have the buildings. We have the people. We have the money. We have the kids ministry. We have the worship team. We have the visual team. We have the sound team. We got everything in place for the greatest move of God we have ever seen and every prophecy to come to pass. The only thing that we're waiting on is you. To get with the leader and us say, okay, let's get our strength and healing back up and now we're going to go for it. We're going to pursue, overtake, and recover all. Come on, did you get anything this morning? Can you stand up today? Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.